This chair, I feel like I need to get, I, I don't know what to do about it. Like put olive oil on the joints. Cause I, like, I don't notice it when I'm just by myself, but every time I start recording, I'm like, ooh, the creakiest chair. And now I'm gonna wanna put my legs up on the desk shortly. So get ready for <laughs> those. the microphone directly. <laughs> This is Brian Barricades, a lamest podcast. I am Nemo Martin, your host and moderator, and I use they, them pronouns. And this week I have been obsessively playing Hades, the video game on my Switch, um, which is basically just one man's attempt to stop miscommunications happening in his family mm. and just going around trying to help everyone just... But, like every single time he talks to someone he's like why don't you just talk to each other and maybe this will be over and everyone's like no I'm too sad <laughs> and he's like shut the fuck up I'm going to make you talk to each other <laughs> so it's been great <laughs> he's the pro tag that I've been waiting for my whole life yeah really <laughs> oh good boy I'm Stevie she had pronouns you're various researcher um, I spent four days determinedly knitting a cardigan despite never having knitted anything more than a square before and being told by everyone like, oh, maybe start with something less hard than going straight for a cardigan I was like, no, all I have in my head is it has to be a cardigan or nothing at all. And then I did it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was quite exciting. Uh, I couldn't stop until I finished because otherwise, like with every other clothing making project i'll put it down and four years later i'll think about finishing it <laughs> that is not an exaggeration on how long i've left between starting and finishing every clothes project i've ever done <laughs> uh, i can't really segue that into talking of miscommunications talking um, of... maybe hugo's no he's communicating just fine <laughs> with me um because like things are already kind of a bit difficult enough for everyone and I'm not a fucking sadist so instead of making the longing this out into three episodes I have very kindly and I guess uh masochistically of myself read all of the chapters in book six Petit Picpus and I'm just gonna give you the the short the shorthand of all of those in one go. <laughs> actually, what I meant to do before saying this is actually looking up how to pronounce that because it's gonna be said a lot. Mm, Unless you yeah. know Nemo. No, I know Petit. I don't know. <laughs> Pick poos. Because otherwise, that's how I'm gonna say it. Peepus. 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 <laughs> yeah, peepus. Peepus. <laughs> That's what this one website told me. So, <laughs> I'm glad there's something to laugh about in here because, so like, every time anyone is like, "Oh, so what are you doing a PhD on?" and I'm, uh, I'm like, "Oh, you know, French literature," and they're like, "Oh, so do you know how to speak French?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> Eddie Peepus. 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 Yeah, this book is called Book Six. Pe Petty Peepus. 
It is composed, compiled of ten chapters. Um, and as Victor Hugo himself put it in chapter five of these ten, here is a story that has no bearing on the story we are relating and no connection with it whatsoever, end quote. <laughs> Which is why I don't feel any guilt compiling all of these into just like one mash of, a, of an episode. I feel like I'm actually, maybe I'm actually turning back on, you know how I was saying how Waterloo was like, oh, you know, it's only that long, so it gives you the sense of like how long time has passed and stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do that with this chapter. <laughs> it doesn't. It felt like the longest, like, 30 pages of my life. And it has been half a year since I read Waterloo. So maybe those... Who's to say what the longest of these two 30 ch- pages have been? But this was this was quite hard for me. And I quite... I am interested in religion as a theme so i was actually full of a bit of hope at the beginning of these chapters i like really enjoyed the first couple and then by the end it was like i need to go for a walk i can't do this and then picking it back up and then putting it down and then my girlfriend being like are you gonna finish those last five pages it's been an hour and being like i actually can't right now my break has not been long enough so you could say it's kind of like your cross to bear (laughs) i should have done a cross count of these chapters um yeah if you couldn't tell these coming chapters this whole book is about a well the sort of religious order christian order of nuns in that building that it's been it's been quite some time actually since i've we last recorded an episode, but Jean Valjean had hidden away in a garden that he could hear some ominous singing coming from. If you recall, there was an unexplained spooky chapter that was actually quite well written of him looking through a window into like some church looking place and being like, what is that body on the floor? And then no further explanation was given. This was worth reading for getting the answer to that question. Ah. So I was very excited at that point, which came in quite early into these chapters. And then there wasn't much else for me to live for. (laughs) Um, So the first of these chapters is called number 62. Petit Roux Peepers. (laughs) 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 And basically... He Victor Hugo's kind of trying to bury the lead on this one. He's describing the architecture and the area in this very, like, haunting, kind of ghostly, sinister language. There's a lot of, like, weeping and black iron bars and gloom and the iron bars forming squares. I almost said a mesh with a diagonal that is an inch and a half thick and monstrous lattice of iron bars everything's like confined it's quite claustrophobic language and then at the end of the chapter he's like what did i say to that scene it's actually what i have been describing the interior of a cloister (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i feel like he had he had a good time with that one i wonder if he's been in one i feel like he must have for like, these are questions that we'll discuss at the end because, like, 
You know, with Victor Hugo, we were like, do you actually have someone giving you a first-hand account? Because you're really selling it like you do, but I don't know. <laughs> mm. But, it, like, that first chapter, like, that's why this one was, it was, like, exciting, because you're like, ooh, he's, he is flexing with the language. Um, so, so that one was pretty good. So we're like, okay, cool, we're talking about this this building and these nuns. That's what we're talking about. Chapter two. The observance of Martin Verger. Or Martin Verger? There's no accents on it, so we'll go with Martin. So the nuns who live in this spooky building, behind all of these layers of iron mesh... Um, they're all ghost nuns. It, they're like doing their best to give that impression, I would say. <laughs> so you do get a point. Yay! <laughs> so... They are the order of the Bernadine Benedicts of the Martin Verger of the Petit Peoples. <laughs> and this chapter kind of gets into like what that means for them, like some of their practices, which is where we get the answer to the ghost question, where it's like, oh, one of the things that they do is um one uh, they take it in turns to do reparations, which is like praying for all the sins of everyone ever in the world and you do this for 12 hours and when it's your turn to do that the sister will be kneeling on the stone floor in front of the blessed sacrament her hands joined a rope around her neck and when she gets very tired you'll then prostrate yourself which is like laying on the floor with your arm her arms outstretched in the shape of the cross so even though he doesn't say at this point and that's what Jean Valjean was sort of spooked out about I'm pretty sure that mm. must be what he saw wow Cool. Finding an answer to a question I didn't realise uh, actually had an answer. <laughs> <laughs> didn't realise was a question. No, because I feel like I'm, I was showing my ass completely last time when we talked about it where, where uh, he saw it and I was like, and then Hugo never comes back to it. <laughs> but I just didn't realise. I didn't put the two together. Well, like, he doesn't say, like, a hand. Like, he didn't hold our hand in the way that he usually really loves to. Yeah, yeah. But because... I keep these images of spooky churches in my head, I guess. So I was like, ah, just like that time when I was wondering what that was. <laughs> um, but he, he like, slip, he slips it in quite casually. Like, it's in the middle of this chapter too, <laughs> which is just very subtle storytelling for Victor Hugo. L more likely than you'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, like, a lot in this chapter of, like, these are things I do, uh, they all have yellow teeth because they don't use toothbrushes because that's the top rung on a ladder at the bottom of which is perdition of the soul. So, like, brushing your teeth is the first step to sin. <laughs> I'm going to take this chapter to my dentist when I go. <laughs> For reference, I just had a root canal, so I feel like you would be very... Um... You'd be like, ah, I see. You need to be doing a different PhD. Yeah. <laughs> Very unsinful of you. But among other things, so there's like these little, I was going to say mantras, prayers, they're prayers, um, <laughs> that the nuns do for like various occasions. And one of them, quote, for the office of the dead, they adopt a tone so deep that women's voices are hardly capable of descending so low. The effect this creates is thrilling and tragic <laughs> so it was like gender venema and they're like of course you think it's fucking tragic Victor Hugo because they're losing their femininity 
At least that was my read of that. No, yeah, I mean, definitely. And the um, fitting into the, like, iron bars, it's a prison. They basically become men because they're separated from men. Mm. So they don't have anything to style them against. And Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, literal... I'm looking at where I underlined a quote of, they live in open cells. <laughs> but it's like, okay, the, the prison imagery is strong in this one. Yeah. But if you want to know more about their practices, read chapter two. So <laughs> we're going on straight on to chapter three. I'm maybe going to blaze through these too quick, but I think I'm just going to like overview them. And then if there's still time, go back and be like, and here's a moment I really enjoyed. Uh-huh. Chapter three, austerities. So basically... At the time that of the story, by which Victor Hugo means Jean Valjean, I suppose, um, there was a boarding school attached to the convent. So there were there would be girls who would basically like never really leave because the this sect of nuns is like incredibly strict, uh, and you can't look at the public. You don't talk to like even if your family come to visit you're very unlikely to be allowed to like speak to them through these big iron gate kind of things. You're more likely if it's a woman in your family, but even then, like probably not. Uh, they, they sort of elect whoever the like head nun is, uh, and she can only be that in that role for like nine years. She'll do the speaking to people outside of it. So this chapter's kind of like, because of the, the sporting school, so there are girls who don't, go straight from the boarding school into the nunnery sect. But, like, there will be ones who do. Um, And this is where Hugo starts sprinkling in these, like, anecdotes that you're like, where did you get this from? (laughs) Is this... what? Did someone tell you this? Have you gone out of your way to hunt them down? How much of this is true? There's a lot of quotation marks that he uses. Uh, One of which for this one is, like, because there's this boarding school and these young girls blah 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 and they're so cloistered away the sight of paving made me shudder from head to foot because this girl is so not used to seeing like the street outside of this tiny little like it's a garden and three buildings and like that's your world Mm. i kind of like the whole time i was trying to get a read on how he felt about the like this whole thing Mm. because like so this chapter because there's all these stories of like oh these girls and maybe some of them were pretty but <laughs> then they get their plain woolen clothes thrown at them in a ceremony and that's what they wear forevermore and things like that they're like okay he's not into it but then other ones he does seem quite like almost reverential for them and then like in the last chapter he's like here's what i thought and you're like i don't know if that's the impression you gave but okay i mean maybe maybe he so spoiler alert (laughs) later when Cosette joins the nunnery and then they come out again because she because he's like I don't want to trap you in here forever but I wish that I could trap you in here forever (laughs) maybe that is one of the like Hugoisms of like um he wants to trap them in there but also wants them to be beautiful (laughs) the um dictonomy no the do you I could only think of old Deuton. <laughs> <laughs> um, the duality of man. <laughs> the Deuteronomy of man. The Deuteronomy of man. Yeah, like, that makes sense because of the stance that he tries to pretend that he had at the end. Um, mm. This particular chapter feels like he's going out of his way to be quite damning. Um, he's got a little anecdote here um, about the girls 
in the boarding school, so, you know, not even yet taking their holy orders. So you would expect it to be, like, less strict, that they're like, oh, one day a young girl received a visit from her mother accompanied by her little sister, aged three. The girl, the young girl wept, for she very much wanted to embrace her sister. Impossible. She begged that at least the child might be allowed to put her little hand through the bar so that she could kiss it. This was refused, almost with a sense of moral outrage. <laughs> Which is quite extreme. Mm. So you're like, I can see how it'd be hard to spin that story in a... Uh, positive light mm-hmm. I, it's actually kind of interesting I didn't um, imagine any of these people having family on the outside for some reason I guess because all I know about nuns is from like TV shows and films <laughs> The Sound of Music yeah yeah, pretty much and The Exorcist um, but I just assumed all of them were orphans mm-hmm. so it, it, it does depend on the individual order so this one that we're talking about they specifically don't take widows, so you okay. can't have ever been married to become a nun. Mm. But they got parents out there, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you are hard-pressed to be allowed to see them. This is like a particularly strict um, group, mm. Victor Hugo says. So I guess that it makes sense that they'd be quite strict on the girls at the boarding school who are attached to the convent. Mm. I wonder what kind of person you are to send your daughter i guess to a really strict boarding i mean very christian person I yeah guess. <laughs> well there's like still that thing now where people are like oh catholic schools are just better and you're like are they though i went to one yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah my mom teaches at one it's mm. uh, it's kind of funny walking around there because sometimes especially when i was younger i would just walk around and it'd be like hmm this is uh I don't think that you realize how fucked up everything is in here. <laughs> There's a lot of very unwell looking men nailed to crosses. Is this okay? <laughs> we all have to stare at Jesus on a cross. <laughs> Speaking of loving things, the next chapter is gladness. This is basically more <laughs> I've I've written down in my notes. More on little girls, humorous anecdotes. <laughs> Uh, so he's still focusing on the the girls at the boarding school. There's the tone between the first two chapters where he's like setting the scene of this convent and it's very like spooky and somber and he's like, oh, they're very somber, they're very somber nuns. And then it's like, oh, but the brightness of these girls who sort of like liven up the place because they'll be like running around in the garden and even the other nuns will be like, oh, this is nice. Um the hive of joy opened, and each one brought her honey to it. <laughs> These little bee girls. <laughs> it was like a shower of rose petals amid all this mournfulness. Victor Hugo does, and I, I for once in my life, don't mean this in the, like, um, pedophilic way, but <laughs> he does like little girls. He talks about them a lot, and I feel like it is that thing of, like, he really loved his daughter mm. a lot. And, like, I feel like every time he describes children he gets very um romantic yeah and just he just likes he just thinks that it it is nice that he (laughs) describes them in a way that's just like really loving and like um yeah they light up his world kind of thing yeah was also the great to compared to everything else going on where you're like look at these little pale smiling faces (laughs) so innocent if I I would should have done a cross count and a how many times does the word innocent 
come out of town. Um, yeah, both of those things can be true. Uh, I did really enjoy. Nothing was so enchanting and awesome as all these pure and radiant souls. Uh, the, these souls of the little girls. Homer would have come here to laugh with parole. Um, uh, a little bit more, and then it's like whether of epic or fairy tale, the highborn and the humble, from Hecuba to the little red Hi- Riding Hood's godmother. Um, just like imagining these two figures laughing together, and I enjoyed it because I was like, I've read Homer and also Parole. I know what these both are. <laughs> um, but for anyone who doesn't know the second one, Parole did all of the sort of fairy tales that are uh, in the public consciousness. They've kind of had a version written by like. The Brothers Grimm are kind of the German version. Parole was French. It's all like quite similar stories, but, you know, written at different times with different like intentions behind them. And I won't like go off too much on this, but I did study them. (laughs) Um, If I recall correctly, the French ones were like had quite a spin of teaching young girls morals to prepare them for future life. So like, you know, with Cinderella and things like that, where it's like, you've got to be a good girl and smiling and then you'll earn your nice husband kind of Mm. vibes and like Beauty and the Beast where it's like if you're nice to your husband who may seem monstrous at first if you (laughs) love him enough maybe it'll turn out he's a rich prince Uh, yeah (laughs) like those kind of vibes so um but I do like to imagine Homer and Parole just like ah in this garden with these nuns and these girls running around (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's such a like I, I I have an image of like um an anime in my head with like really really like chibi drawn like little girls and then two like really seriously drawn old men <laughs> also they're my new ship question mark <laughs> <laughs> writing stories together they're each other's muses oh I love that you know I do <laughs> TV, like I, I know that we ship anything, but <laughs> we will. That is very thirsty. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're writing their little epic or fairy tale, Nemo. <laughs> they're vibing. <laughs> this was like one of the last chapters where I was having a great time <laughs> reading them. The the great heights before the fall. It was. Um, these were heights. What a blessing says Victor Hugo um, and then yeah so here comes there's like a load of these little anecdotes where it's like here are the things that happened or you might have heard if you're walking through these uh, the halls around here and my favourite one here on one of the flagstones of the cloister was where this confession was found written out beforehand so that she would not forget it by a seven year old sinner father I confess to being guilty of avarice father I confess to being guilty of adultery father I confess to being guilty of having raised my eyes and looked at a gentleman. <laughs> that I feel like it, he's probably actually hand-selected all of these to be like, I'm sure he's like making a point with them all. And I guess this one's kind of like, you've got this seven-year-old who's clearly used to having to hear all, all the other nuns because when you're a good Catholic, you got to be confessing all the time. you got to be confessing guilt all the time. Even if you like haven't done something, you'd have... In sort of these times, you'd have to be like coming up with something to confess. So just as if young children have to be around that so much, of course they're going to be like, I guess I must also be guilty of adultery. I'm seven. 
not knowing what it is and just yeah. being father, I confess. <laughs> so I guess it's like both sweet and also like, hmm. But he's got like seven of these little anecdotes. There's like in all the corners of these grounds, there's different bugs hang out in each corner. So the girls sort of refer to them as like, that's the woodlice corner, that's the crickets corner. So then in the boarding school, in the dormitories, I don't know if like secondary school you or and primary school you also had the like what you you, you were kind of put in like all I can think of is Hogwarts houses <laughs> like that style of thing. Yeah, yeah, we had houses. Which at, at um, Catholic school you were a saint and I was Edmund. Seacole <laughs> we after Mary Seacole. Oh well, whatever they originally were, it's become so like all the girls refer to. Like, depending where you are in the dormitory, as you're a spider or you're a cricket and you're a caterpillar. Actually, maybe it's just because I remember this happening, but I, I do, as soon as you said, like, oh, there was a corner that was a spider, a corner that was blah, 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 it immediately went, oh, like, the, like, like you would name houses in a school like that. Mm. <laughs> That's cute. Well, they did it. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, like, explained to, they had this visiting, um, is it the Archdeacon? This one dude just like keeps turning up at this convent. A bishop on a pastoral walk. I felt a bit weird about this. Saw a very pretty little girl, all rosy complexioned with lovely blonde hair, enter the classroom while he was there. He asked another pupil, a charming fresh-cheeked brunette nearby, what little girl is that? She's a spider, monsieur. Oh, and that one over there, she's a cricket. And that one, she's a caterpillar. Really? And you? I'm a mount- woodlouse, monsieur. Which like... It's cute and sweet. It was just that, like, something about... I don't know if it was just also, you know, the manners of the time, mm. but him not asking the girl so. what she was called, like, asking another girl about her, that that just felt a bit funny. Yeah, it kind of... It does feel like the um, the taking a walk around the room in a uh, Austen novel and being like, mm. oh, who's that, who's that delectable girl over there? <laughs> And you can't introduce yourself. You must be introduced by a mutual mm. uh, friend kind of thing. Um, I didn't think that's what Hugo was going for, but uh, still was like, mm. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, it seems so creepy to us. I'm sure it was normal, but maybe it wasn't because it's Victor Hugo. But <laughs> <laughs> Trying to outthink Victor Hugo. Yeah. Either way, I enjoyed the, uh, the Woodlouse house. <laughs> <laughs> and then we go on to Diversions. Which, in my notes, says... This will know fact that uh, Victor Hugo wrote Diversion. <laughs> this, is, this is the one where he's like, this has no bearing on the story, but anyway. Um, yes, more anecdotes. With things in quote marks is what I put as my reminder. Um, yeah, just more little stories. Like, he talks about, here's a Lord's Prayer that they had. It's been since covered up in whitewash a couple times. The meals were so unappetizing at this place. The children had to eat in silence. Back on, I guess, so there has been some sweet anecdotes. So maybe, like, so at the end of all this, he kind of tries to be like, I've not made judgment. I'm just, I've just told fact, but like, I'm I'm 50-50, dudes. Uh (laughs) So I guess we just had some, some kind of nice anecdotes about the woodlouse. Now, on balance, we're getting uh, any child who broke the silence made a cross for busy tongues. Where? On the floor. 
she licked the pavement. The dust to which all joys must come was made to punish those poor little rosy petals guilty of chattering. Hmm. Which is like, yeah, like that sound. That sounds pretty Christian, actually. <laughs> so yeah, the anecdotes in this one, I guess, are like less sweet. Mm. It's kind of interesting because I kind of forgot that that happened as well. Because I guess I was falling quite hard on Hugo for comparing the nunnery to prison, mostly because of a like, you know, in the feminism way of like we were saying at the beginning of him being like, mm. oh, you know, they didn't see any men, so and so their voices became low and there were bars in the prison and they weren't being female anymore and so I was like it's pretty fucked up of you to compare incarceration with like mostly voluntarily these women going in to be Christian in a place um, again I don't very know very much about nunneries but also I guess yeah I hadn't really remembered that they made the kids lick the floor but then I don't know mm. how much of that is Victor Hugo being like, oh, and also they shouldn't be here because they lick the floor, and not just like because he wants girls to be pretty outside. Yeah. Again, with Victor Hugo, both can be true. Because yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, places like this would be like, it would depend which one you would go to, quite extreme. Mm. But then also, that's like, even schools, you know, in the UK, like 40 years ago you were still getting caned kind of thing yeah. but you're like not in a like and that means that this is okay just in a like how much is that because it's a religious sect and how much would that be that all schools are like this yeah true like yeah because I, I guess the like licking the floor is a particularly weird one but if but if he had said you know oh and their knuckles got caned or something it wouldn't be so like surprising yeah bad but we as a like now understand that that is it corporal punishment Um, yeah i think so that 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 did happen um yeah and we're more aware of that yeah yeah interesting i mean like these are the things that do interest me about learning about different religious sex Mm. um because like i i'm not gonna get into my relationship with like religious things for me but like i know that these things happen and like how extreme some things will be when it's like and this is for religious purposes so it's fine Mm -hmm. um but like i do like that didn't surprise me Mm. but like yeah it is you know less things that like we you're not taught about things like that at school whereas yeah you're taught about corporal punishment if that's the correct word for it yeah Corporal punishment is mm-hmm. a punishment intended to cause physical pain to a person. When practiced on adults, it may be practiced on prisoners or sna- slaves. So even there, like the link between oh. incarceration and school and sort of religion is already being neatly tied up by Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> the work has been done for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. I, if I'm recalling correctly, I know I only read these like an hour an hour ago but it was in a bit of a haze um i think that's the most ex- that i can remember the most extreme like punishment that's mentioned mm. that isn't to say that there weren't more that he doesn't mention mm. but um like that one stuck out not that i'm like is it even that bad they've got to lick the dust <laughs> i think he points it out because because you know he's there with his little comment like the dust which is to to joy we must all become is because he's being like isn't it ironic mm. 
because ashes to ashes, dust to dust, we all will go back to dust, da da da, and they've got to lick it off the floor. Mm-hmm. Rather than it being a like, uh, it's more. It's more of an unusual punishment than a cruel punishment kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, because then he goes straight on to like other things. Like it literally, that it's those two lines, mm. and then yeah, it's like oh, in the garden there was these scraggly fruit trees. Um, a letter I have before me, a letter written twenty five years ago by a former pupil who is Madame la Duchesse de X. I feel like I've seen that before. Mm. But I don't know if that's is Duchess de X an actual person or is that when you're like I can't speak her name for privacy reasons so I'm gonna put an X so I don't know if I've seen her before or that has been used before to keep someone's identity a secret. That is usually what they do to keep the identity a secret or like Monsieur le uh, dash dash dash. Mm-hmm. Okay, because I was gonna be like we should look up this person if they're real. We can't if that's the case. I've like spent the last couple bits of this being like, oh, I'm talking too quick. I've got to slow this down. And now I'm like, we got five more chapters to go. <laughs> go, 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 go. She wrote in a letter that you had to hide your pear or your apple as best you can. And we go up to the bed cover before su- supper. You'd stuff them under your pillow. And at night, you'd eat them in bed. And when you cannot do that, you eat them in the privy. This was one of their keenest pleasures. So I think more stories of the like, they're so deprived. <laughs> oh, I got distracted by a Mademoiselle Bouchard. I was just like, Elias! Elias. <laughs> She's tall and radiant <laughs> with the prettiest rosy little face in the world. <laughs> and also, actually, this... Wait, uh, is this the person who's a little shit? Yeah, actually, this does, I feel like this does fit in with Elias actually quite nicely. This is this is just for me and Nemo and anyone who hasn't listened to Magnus Archives. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so this anecdote was amusing. That she, so she was a girl that was like, I'm gonna be really cheeky. And we've got this visiting. Um, uh, was it archdeacon, archbishop? One of the like fairly important Bible people. Um, and was like, do you guys dare me to go ask for like a holiday off because we don't get those? And all the other girls were like, no, you'll never do it. And then she just like strolls up to him and is like, Monsignor, a day's holiday. And he's like, my dear child, a day's holiday? By all means, three days if it pleases you. I grant three days. And everyone in the convent, like the, the nuns, are really like pissed about it. But because the archbishop is the one who said it, they can't do anything about it. <laughs> That is just like the balls is is great. Yeah, she, and also that he was just like, yeah, sure, go for it. <laughs> like, like, wow, I can't believe you'd come. Okay, yeah, do it. <laughs> so, like, at least the like the girls at the boarding school are like little characters. They've not yet been like made into samba nuns. I guess mm. is that the the story we're being told? Mm, yeah. Oh, so there's like a time limit, basically, or like a. Uh, a ticking time bomb of like how long a girl can be in here before she becomes an like a boring man. <laughs> yeah, maybe that is what this is. <laughs> the boarding school's not totally isolated from the outside world. They have those grates so that the people when they're coming to mass they can hear the singing. We can't see the nuns, but you can hear them singing. And it is at this point that we get the um 
I'm about to tell a story, says Victor Hugo, to prove this, simply as a matter of record, that we will briefly describe a true and incontestable incident that in itself, and it must be added, has no bearing on the story we are relating and no connection with it whatsoever. We mention this incident to complete the reader's mental picture of what the convent was like. (laughs) And then tells an anecdote that I'm not going to relate to you because actually I don't know if it did that <laughs> or at least i don't know that it did any more than any of the other stories he's told <laughs> but it's like they're like at least, so I, i'm reading the translation by donahue yeah and in these bits i don't know like if i feel like i would have noticed it if it was elsewhere this particular chapter and when he's talking about the boarding school the language is like even more informal <laughs> which is why i was like oh is he like I've read so many sources and spoke to so many people about this that I can just, like, talk about it like it's my own life. But, you know, when he's, like, starting paragraphs, like, so, around that time, and then later on there's one that's like, anyway, get back to this. Like, you'll never you'll never guess. Which, like, they stood out to me, so I don't know if that's always a thing, but, like, the so, comma, and anyway, comma, stood out to me for whatever reason. Let's see. Um, uh, it- Five prayer, they pray, who to God. Oh no, we're we're a book back. I've not even got into those books yeah, yet, yeah. Nemo. We thought that the this book was when Hugo really talks about his feelings on convents, but actually we're on the book before that where he's just setting the scene <laughs> for the whole book where he's then going to analyse everything that he just said. Salty fish. Nemo regularis, so constitutionis constitutionas nostras externas communis. Of it. That was one of the rules of um, uh, Petty Peeps. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> Nemo means, means nobody. So that's why it's nobody is regular or something like that. Whatever. There's some Latin in here and I recognize my name. I got excited. <laughs> I've gotten anyway. Monsieur de Rohan was the unwitting object, object of the girl's attention. I have Monsieur de Rohan was, in any case, unbeknownst to him, an object of in... So I feel like it's Donahue being like, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's just mine that's like, if he goes going to talk like a gossiping boarding school gal, then I'm going to write it like that. Yeah. Well, then this is a case of me loving this translation because I was starting to be a bit lost at this point and looking for any points of, like, amusement to keep me going. (laughs) So, loved that. Next chapter, The Little Convent. And this chapter is basically that, as I said, there's, like, the three buildings with the garden and one of those is a convent for nuns from all different orders who had been destroyed during the revolution and... The petty peepus had like taken them all in, so then then all kind of fo- instead of in the main convent where you know they're all following this set of regulation and rules, because this little convent it's all nuns from different orders. They're kind of all doing their own thing, but in the same space because they've got nowhere else to go, and they're also you don't have to be a nun to live there you can be like a socialite lady but you're in your old age and you're like can i live here and sometimes they'll be like why not we need someone to gawk at a little bit sometimes (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's basically that chapter (laughs) 
yeah, they. I don't know if they got less interesting from this point or I had less interest, but this is when I was flagging. Chapter 7, Some Figures in the Gloom. And this is mostly just like a list of the nuns and their attributes at the time. Which I guess is nice that he's giving these shout-outs to all these women. <laughs> but like, when it's... There's literally, in true Victor Hugo fashion, like... Her name, she was the chief of this. This girl, she was the assistant mistress of this. This girl, she was a nurse. This one, very young with a beautiful voice. Um, like, listed out in one paragraph. Great. Really useful stuff. Really, yeah, helpful and necessary to the plot. We also got a special mention of uh, the prettiest and most charming of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> in her own little paragraph we were like that okay there you there he is there's victor hugo pulling it back yeah (laughs) and we were doing so well with not being outright like and victor hugo is being a fucking creep but here we go (laughs) lest we forget but that like having those girls the younger girls at the school like was kind of a delight for a lot of the the nuns who've taken their orders um all these women were kindly towards all these children the nuns were hard only on themselves so they a lot of them like they're not meant to speak they've got a vow of silence Mm. so this was like quite a i liked it line i guess the effect of this rule of silence was that throughout the convent the power of speech had been withdrawn from human beings and given to inanimate objects Hmm. that's like oh is that a is that a theme? I didn't realise, well, I kind of knew that that was a real thing, but the first time I saw that the vow of silence was a thing was in The Exorcist, which is where I literally get all of my knowledge <laughs> Catholicism. It sounds like it taught you fairly well. <laughs> it literally, like, every time anything about Catholicism is in this book, I'm like, oh, that was in The Exorcist. <laughs> I guess it was depicting Catholics and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's legit, man. I mean, they broke their... Well, one of them came out of their vow of silence to uh, exorcise a demon with the main character. So, you know. <laughs> it's a pretty good reason to leave your vow yeah, of silence. Yeah. I think. I think the Pope would be okay with that. <laughs> We're on to the next one, because that chapter is just a chapter of uh, of names. Post Corda Lapides, which has, like, a long note attached to it. And I... Did I not understand it? Was I not that interested? It could be both. In the French, c'est le diable et quatre. And he's making a pun on something because it's Victor Hugo and it's something to do about creating a great deal of noise and disorder. A few words giving some idea of the physical layout will not come amiss. <laughs> That's when I messaged Nemo. I was like, Hugo's goddamn unrelenting. He won't stop describing the layout of this building to me, Nemo. I can't have him do it again. He's pretending like he's not done it yet. <laughs> I haven't done it, but I promise you he has several times throughout. And also, I'm pretty sure when Jean Valjean turned up, we got a pretty intense description then. Did I give it to you then, or did I also skim over it for everyone? I feel like you skimmed over it. I just, I can't do it. I've had to read it so many times. I know you haven't, but, like, I can't do it again. One time, Stevie. Give us one depiction of what it looks like in that. (sighs) The only bit I'll give you is that the main building, taken as a whole, viewed from above, 
had almost the exact shape of a gallows laid flat on the ground. Which is cool, but I couldn't help but be like, oh yeah, I guess you'd get that aerial shot with your drone. And I was like, how the fuck does he know this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. I guess you would have to stand on the... You'd have to be Russell Crowe standing on top of the police precinct. <laughs> yeah, I guess that... I, I like hadn't considered that there's tall bridges. <laughs> Yeah, the Eiffel Tower hasn't been built right yet, right? That's like early 20th century. I feel like that's a fact that people bring up because sometimes they'll... Uh, 1887. Yeah, so yeah, you'd have to yeah. go up a really tall building to see the top of... Mm. Or I guess get the blueprints? Yeah, yeah. Maybe? Look around it. I'm like trying to look for more. Just like, here's him describing it. And my brain is just desperately skimming over it. Like, I can't even focus on Like, there's a quadrilateral moat. <laughs> a complex courtyard. All kinds of various angles. Like, angles are various. Um, prison-like walls. We've got more prison imagery. The saintly house was built on the very site of a famous real tennis court. <laughs> but those are like... Those could almost be said to be interesting. I just like I think I just really struggle with the when he's like, and if you follow this line to this corner, from here, there are two points, and if you go north, here's the name of that, and if you go south, here's the name of that, and from there, the south one, if you go at a forty degree angle, what is called this building? Um, like I just I can't hack it. I can't make it interesting for myself. I can't make it interesting for you. <laughs> I would think he just kind of like uh, drew a map like he was doing like uh, in a um, fantasy book. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love that. I guess he has been like the last time he did this to me was like, I know if you look at a current day map, these streets won't be on it. And you can't find a map from before times when what I'm describing was on it, but you have to take my word for it that this is what it looked like. And there are maps that I guess he just wants us to have several maps of Paris open at all times. (laughs) Yeah, the best way to enjoy reading this novel is to have three maps open and like playing this music and uh, be looking at this um, picture of... Dante's Inferno, I guess. (laughs) Oh my god, like in fix that are like, listen to this if you want to have the right soundtrack (laughs) and mood, and then like the embedded images throughout where you're like, and here's the, um, well, fuck, what's it called when you'd have an OC and you'd be like, this is the face I'm using for that? Face claim. Face claim. Here's the face claim for this. Yeah. Oh my god. Here's a picture with the shoes that he's wearing. Can you imagine Victor Hugo with like an eight tracks and a like a press <laughs> board for each of his characters? I like honestly can. <laughs> and there's no universe in which he wouldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I wonder if, like, when he was writing, because he also wrote plays and stuff, right? Like, whether he was, like, casting people at the time when he mm. was writing it. So basically doing, like, face claims and stuff. Well, didn't he do... He, I can't remember who it was before, but he did do that face claim of that guy where he's like... Oh, yeah. Oh, this, it's a, this particularly unflattering portrait. Like, he doesn't always look like that, but, like, this bad portrait of this man. Yeah, wasn't it, like, a... It was like a random politician or something like that. Yeah, something like that. So he does do face claims. Interesting. And he does want us to have our... I'm imagining not just, like, it's the map. I don't know if you did 
<laughs> saying Duke of Edinburgh doesn't help anyone but people from England, but when you've got those those maps of like all of the walks that you can do in the English countryside, what are those called? Uh, like hiking trail kind of things or Yeah. Ordnance surveys is Ordnance survey maps. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he wants us to have yeah, yeah i like you know when he was like oh you know he looks like that portrait of that man like it's not like people could go and like google that like we did like how would they go and find a picture of that man like would they go to a bookshop or a gallery or like i'm sure i'm assuming is not just in like an encyclopedia like it's <laughs> not helpful at all just put the picture <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I guess we, like, say we were reading this at the time, we'd both have to be like, right, put our books down. <laughs> Is the Louvre a thing? Can we go there to look for this portrait? Because we can't continue reading until we do. <laughs> he asks too much. So... The short answer is no, I won't describe it to you, Nemo, the layout, even though I've read it about 12 times. I kind of, I would like, if I lived in the 19th century, what I'd do as a living is make little, like, pamphlet, like, um, sub, sub, uh, like, editions. So, like, when you buy a book, you can also, like, in the bookshop, get the, buy this little pamphlet, and it's got, like, little, like, drawings of the Napoleon War formations and it's got oh my god yeah layout of the thing and turn to figure four page three (laughs) yeah exactly it's not too late for us to do a zine to go as the companion piece to this stupid big book Nima. (laughs) it's like there's absolutely zero pictures of all of the ami there's like nothing like in a usual zine there's no romance there's no kissing it's just like facts and figures You're like, he said that the roads made an A, and I just don't trust that you know what that looks like. So here it is, with some trees drawn around it. Please, that's our next, that's going on the the Patreon that we never use. (laughs) And only then, and then only, will you all know what this goddamn building looks like. Next chapter! A Century Under the Veil. And I wrote, no notes on it! (laughs) I did write a load of whys next to one sentence. Let's find out what that one was. Since we are giving details about the Pity Peepus convent, what, what the convent once was, and since we have dared to open a window on that quiet sanctuary, the reader may allow us another small digression, unconnected with the substance of this book, but telling and helpful in making clear that even the cloister has its eccentric characters. Mm. <sighs> because like these like like the 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 really annoying thing <laughs> which one <laughs> is that it would be interesting if these nuns did come back but like none of these ones do there are a couple of mentions of nuns later like there's a uh, mother mother something um who's like fairly in it but but there really is <laughs> there really is no point to this. <laughs> yeah, we are like these would be interesting separately somewhere else. If is that whenever we start building up momentum, Hugo's like, let me just slow you down. Mm-hmm. I know that, that Jean Valjean's been on the run and there was an exciting chase scene and it seems like they got away, but I just need to stop you for thirty pages and then Another 
how many? Perhaps another 30. Because even, even in the like, because this is like telling us, I guess, meta-wise, it's telling us what the stakes are for um, Jean Valjean and for Chalavon, like what they're battling against, which is, you know, that they have to, like, the nuns are this strict even to their own little girls. What are they going to do when they try and sneak a whole ass man in here? (laughs) But you don't need all of this. (laughs) Not all of it. It would be very interesting elsewhere when you're like, what I really want to read about is these particular nuns. Mm. But it's that, yeah, you have at the back of your mind that you're like, where's Jean Valjean? Why do you keep telling me that you know it's not relevant? (laughs) Yeah. That whole chapter, chapter nine. Like, I'm not going to go on it because, yeah, he's like, oh, but I just need to prove that there are interesting people there. But you're like, you already did that. I have actually read out some of the little anecdotes of like, oh, this amusing thing this kid said. So you're like, we know they're there. You did that. And it's only for a page. So next chapter, chapter 10. (laughs) (laughs) The origin of perpetual adoration. So perpetual adoration is like the main thing that these particular Bernadine Benedicts of the Martin Verger Petit Pepe Pepus. And it's basically, yeah, like what I kind of described before where you've got to have someone like at all times like prostrate on the floor like we love you jesus Mm. we're sorry for sins um but like yeah very strict and this chapter's like basically this came about because there was a load of other orders and they weren't strict enough so two of these like high society women with money gave a load of money to this other benedictine nun because they were like this wasn't pious enough. Be, you're quite pious. Here's some money. Do with that something. And that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, they were authorised by the Pope Alexander the Seventh V11. Is that a seven? That is seven. Yes. So in 1657, Pope Alexander the Seventh, by special dispensation, authorised the Bernardines of Petit Pipus to practice perpetual adoration. Like the Benedictine nuns of the Blessed Sacrament, these two orders are distinct. They may sound similar, as Victor Hugo points out to us several times, but there there is a difference in there somewhere. <laughs> Just know that there is. It actually is not important to us what that difference is. <sighs> mm-hmm. Next chapter, I thought there was only ten, but there was eleven. <laughs> the end of the petty peoples. Um, and like with all things, empires rise and fall. You had a lot of nuns who were really into this very strict order for a while, but it's quite strict. Then, you know, less people want to take it up, and well, there's not many of them left. It's too rigid. The rule of perpetual adoration is too rigid, and it is daunting. So the order sort of shrunk down over the years, basically. And in 1840, the little convent is no more. The boarding school was no more. It's just like a handful of nuns left. Just a handful of nuns. And then in the hand is worth two of the bush. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when Victor Hugo finally is like, I'm going to start wrapping this up. Uh-huh. The uh, burden is relentless and it is oppressive. It is overwhelming. And so they die. 
Um, and he's like, okay, the, the, I would almost love to read the whole of this ending bit. It's too long to read all of it. But, you know, when you're like, by this point, I was so tired. I had taken two breaks from this. I had crawled my way through those last couple chapters, if you couldn't tell from the fact I read you basically none, nothing from them. <laughs> and then the end bit was just like such Hugo back on his bullshit that it almost gave me life again. He's like... We could not pass by this extraordinary unknown house without taking inside our spiritual travelling companions who are listening as we tell our sad story of Jean Valjean. Like, we, we, Hugo, like, couldn't walk by this building because we know he, like, went on a little walking tour of everywhere he writes about. He had to go in. He had to know more. Um, We have spoken of this remarkable place in detail. And detail is correct. Yet with respect. <laughs> At least insofar as detail and respect are compatible. We do not understand everything, but we jeer at nothing. <laughs> how how disillusioned. <laughs> There's more. Oh. This bit really got me. Um, we are equally distant from the ex- exaltations of Joseph de Mistry, who ends up sank defying the executioner and from the sneerings of Voltaire who goes so far as to mock the crucifix a logical inconsistency on Voltaire's part by the way for Voltaire would have defended Jesus as he defended Callus like the by the way is literally in my book like that's not me trying to spruce this up to be funnier it's right there um the 19th century religious thinking is undergoing a crisis some things can be unlearned, and rightly so, provided that when one thing is unlearned, another is learned. No vacuum in the human heart. We need to be familiar with the, with them, if only to avoid them. The spectre, the past, is liable to falsify its own passport. Let us be prepared for that pitfall. Let us be on guard. The past has a face, superstition, and a mask. Hypocrisy. Let us explore, expose that face and tear off that mask. As for convents, they pose a complicated question. A question of civilization, which condemns them. A question of liberty, which protects them. So I've noticed in my writing, like I had a a writing deadline today and I have noticed when I am angry about something, that's when I write the most and the most like furiously, (laughs) both in terms of like fastness and like uh, uh, anger. And like today I couldn't write anything because I, I, it was, I was writing for a deadline rather than because I was angry. And I feel like Hugo wrote, was writing about fucking nuns and then got really angry, like went to a dinner party or something, had a really angry conversation with someone, got home and like, instead of finishing the paragraph and like writing in a different notebook was like, actually, you know what's going to go? Like, it's my favorite bit. For that exact reason, you're like, what I need is some goddamn passion, and here it is. <laughs> what are you talking of? Like, I'm sure half of that is like very like oh profound, thought provoking, and the other half is absolute nonsense. <laughs> but like, you can feel it, yeah. and that's why I read it that way because he's literally just like, and fuck Voltaire, <laughs> and also fuck the past and convents. I don't know. Here's me about to go onto another book about them though. <laughs> I love the beef with Voltaire more than anything. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> all this to say, we're at 
so that's the end of that book. But book seven, oh, that's when we get his actual thoughts on all of this. Uh, uh, I just, I just, like, I have read this before. <laughs> but it just, it never ceases to amaze me how he can just keep on going. <laughs> There's always more to say. There sure is. Well, that's what Victor Hugo thinks. There, there really isn't. There is, yeah. There is a limit to things that you should be able to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to do to the next book what I did to this one. So I don't know like how well information is being imparted like this, but I'm not... Like, there's no way I was going to long those 11 chapters out into three episodes. Like, yeah. what would we... I just don't know what we would get from that. No, so no. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'd say it to his face. You, um, but that argument we had about... Uh, not argument. The debate we had about um, translations and about um, the old guy that you used to use. I can't remember um i've got him here wait he was can't believe i forgot his name denny Denny, there we go yeah denny you were more valid than we gave you credit for <laughs> me swinging completely away from what rose was saying of like every <laughs> single second of hugo needs to be imparted into your brain directly <laughs> i just can't agree <laughs> Well, no, well, maybe it depends, like, I guess this isn't the time for this debate again, because I don't know how long this episode's going to be, but, like, I don't know, man. Like, if it's everything that Hugo says is important, everything ever he's ever written, you're like, okay, I'll go read that. Mm. Is everything he says in Les Mis <laughs> relevant and important to the story of Les Mis? No. <laughs> the end. <laughs> And that's the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. This has been very, very Produced by me, Nemo, Martin, and Julian. Yeah. And it really is just a solid no from Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> is Nemo still on the fence, reserving judgment? Yeah. Like, it, it is that thing where, like, I'll be like, this. none of this is relevant. And then I'll be like, oh, but if we're being kind, and does he need a, like, that's really devil's advocate kind of talking. <laughs> I, you mm. know where I stand on devil's advocate kind of stuff. So it's like, um, as long as I can explain it away, then my, like, gut feeling is too. But he also doesn't deserve yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Because some of this isn't necessary. <laughs> Yeah, because like anything, we could warp it into being like, and this was part of the larger theme of trying to get the bourgeois to be kinder to the poor. I don't know that that came up in this convent stuff, but I guess it must have. I mean, um, when our best reason is, well, we, well, he get, he makes it really long and boring, so that the reader has an idea of what really long and boring might be. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the answer is that Victor Hugo is long and boring. <laughs> Until he goes off on Voltaire, then we'll talk. Yeah. Sorry, you were in the ending credits there. <laughs> if you have any comments, questions, or quibbles about this podcast, or maybe about how it's not long and boring, you can send us an email to Lamest Podcast, L E S N I S Podcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter at Lamest Podcast or on our Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. If you like us, you can leave us 
uh, tip on Kofi or on Patreon, and then we'll make a, a zine <laughs> <laughs> detailing every single nook and cranny that Vic Hugo describes in this novel. Our audio director is Jade, who you can find on her website, jdwasabi.com, or on her bandcamp, jdwasabi.bandcamp.com. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> How do we phonetically title it? Peepus. Peepus. That's what I've been thinking about the entire episode. I've just been sitting here thinking, peepus, peepus. Yeah. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha